You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com. Good thing I showed up. I'm pretty sure today's scripture is Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 60. Thank you. <laughs> you stiff-necked people. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a text. <laughs> You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, this this speech that Stephen gave uh, to these people and through the Bible to us as well. ask that you be with Andrew as he preaches and explains this passage to us. Help us to have hearts that will receive it and apply it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We forgive you, Jacob. I'd like to say that that was the first time that's ever happened here. (laughs) No, thank you for that, Jacob. Good to see all of you guys. Um, I was uh, reading a blog post this past week uh, by a writer named David Rhodes. And so he's a fiction writer, okay? And it was kind of interesting because he was talking about how to develop a character as a fiction writer. And one of the quotes that he gave that I want to share with you uh, today had to do with that kind of a development. And he said this. He said, the most fundamental way to reveal a character's nature is to put them under immense pressure. And I read that. That kind of stuck out to me because it made me think, man, that is so true to life. Like when we're under pressure, isn't it true that the way that you view yourself, the way that you view other people, uh, your priorities, what you're willing to lose or let go of, what you're willing to compromise on, All those things are revealed. Your true character is revealed, right? And I bring that up in the context of this passage because this is a very, I mean, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. We're very familiar with this scene, but it's very intense, There's a lot of pressure coming in on all sides. Everything is coming to a head in the characters who are in the scene. If you put yourself in the shoes of Sanhedrin for a moment, 
and you think about what they're sort of experiencing here, this growing movement, this Jesus movement, right, have been explaining to crowds of people at their place of work. So imagine people coming into your place of work and then explaining to crowds that are congregating, right? These people are the ones responsible for the death of the Messiah. And he has now been raised from the dead. So from their vantage point, their world is kind of unraveling. And if you put yourself in the shoes of Stephen, it's a similar type of situation, right? Where he's alone in front of the most powerful people in the nation, 71 men, the same men who handed Jesus over to be killed. Right, so the scene is full of intensity, full of pressure, and the true character of the historical figures involved is about to be revealed. Right, now, I say this with full acknowledgement that there, I know some of your stories, many of us have been through a season of intense pressure. I can tell you that this past year has felt like like I'm in a, in a pressure cooker. And, and one of the things that I want to invite us to remember as we come to the Word of God is that when we come to the Word of God, we're not just trying to collect Bible facts. We're, we're actually asking God to speak to us. It's the living Word of God. And so in, in an effort to sort of help facilitate that encounter, as, as we open ourselves up to listening to God, I've put a little box in the, in the sh- a sermon note sheet in your bulletin where, where I want to invite you to, to fill out or to complete the following sentence. I feel pressure from blank. If it's the person next to you, don't let them see what you're, don't let them see what you're writing. So it, it, could be, it could be a person. It could be a situation. But you just write one word there. If, if you have something to write with, write one word there that, that indicates to you, like, yeah, this is the situation This is where I'm feeling pressure from right now. And and then I want us to be asking ourselves the following three questions in the presence of God, waiting to hear an answer from God as we move along in the message. So the first question is, what is this intense situation revealing about my character? The second question is, what might God be teaching me through this intense situation? And then the third question is, what might God be calling me to do? Or how might he be calling me to respond to this intense situation that I'm in? So so as we move along in the message be referencing these questions because I've been praying and I am anticipating 
that God is going to meet you where you're at, and if you're open, he will speak to you specifically about the situation that you're in. So we have been spending several months now kind of walking through this speech of Stephen that he's given, giving before the Sanhedrin who have been accusing him that his message about Jesus, the gospel message, is coming against, it is threatening certain cherished institutions that they have, namely the holy place or the temple in Jerusalem and the customs of Moses, those national identity markers that separate the Jewish people from the rest of the nations. And what we've said is that Stephen, in defense, in front of the Sanhedrin with these accusations, what he does is give this long speech where he puts the situation within the framework of God's redemption, the history of redemption, his saving acts. And one of the things that he is doing as he moves along and, and recounting these different events in Israel's history is he's showing that Israel has a long history of rejecting God's saving acts through his representatives, culminating in the rejection of the Messiah himself. And so now we're finally rounding the corner and we're coming to the end of Stephen's speech. Everything is coming to a head. And what Stephen does at the end, he sort of, as at first, everything is kind of indirect. I mean, he is carpet bombing them with all these indictments, right? But it's kind of indirect. You might lose it, although I think the Sanhedrin are tuned into the story of Israel, and I think they're getting a large part of it, but they're wondering, wait, is he really saying? Wait, is he really saying? And now Stephen's like, I am really saying, right? And he turns the tables on them, right? And he basically puts them on trial. And so it's an intense moment that brings about this intense response. But my question is, what does this intense moment reveal about the characters involved in the scene? Right? What does this intense moment reveal, one, about the members of the Sanhedrin? What does it reveal about them? And then secondly, what does this intense moment reveal about Stephen. So those are our two points this morning. So let's first talk about what this intense moment reveals about the Sanhedrin. When I was working for Dallas Seminary, one of the other staff members that I would be in consultation with from time to time was the Dean of Students. His name was Dr. Grippa. And one of the things he said to me, which kind of was jarring the first time I heard him say it, but I, I, I began to appreciate um, what he was doing is he said, I pray every day that the pressures of seminary will reveal the true character of the students attending. Not so that we can weed out the good ones from the bad ones. That, that wasn't his point. Was so that character defects that students had Right, and everybody has them, right, coming into the seminary would be revealed and then dealt with before they went out into the field into ministry, before they created all kinds of havoc 
you know, in churches and in other Christian organizations, that it would be revealed in seminary where there are many, many resources to help them, right? to be able to get over some of these things that they're maybe hanging on to unforgiveness, bitterness, all these types of, types of things that we all have, right, that they can be dealt with there. And some of the most powerful moments in seminary for me were not in the classroom, but when these character defects would be revealed in somebody and then confronted, and then that person repented and received God's correction and then began down a path of healing. Now, that did not always happen when somebody was confronted. Or sometimes, and you know, we've seen this before, someone's confronted and immediately they're like, not me, right? And then a little bit later, like, hey, you know, when you're talking to me about, you know, it's like that kind of a thing. So I would see that too. But some of the most powerful moments is when you see people who, I learned, right, at seminary, because I was managing the 10-story high-rise where the students lived, and it's like, sometimes I would think, man, we are, including myself, are just the same like the world. We just, we do all the things that the world does, and then God said, well, there is one difference, and there's really only one, (laughs) Uh, uh, and that is, we repent. We turn to receive God's grace so that we might be transformed, right? So we're all wicked people, right? But we want to turn to God and have him transform us from the inside out. And that's the one difference, right? And so I I got to see that. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because there is that potential in this scene for the Sanhedrin. Right, Stephen, right, and these are, think about the most elite people in the nation, right? They, 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 need, they don't need indirect language, right? If you want to reach somebody who has a lot of power, you got to talk them with, to them with a lot of force, right? And that's what Stephen does. He brings this indictment against them and points out some very serious character flaws and defects that they have, and then... You have this moment where you wonder, what's going to happen? Are they going to receive God's correction or are they not going to receive God's correction? So the pressure that's going to reveal their character in this moment is this indictment, which are recorded in verse 51 through verse 53. And I'll read them again. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and uh, ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, that is the Messiah, the righteous branch of Jesse, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You have murdered the Messiah. Verse 53, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So Stephen is saying in this indictment is that you have three negative traits in common with your forefathers. You're stiff-necked, right, which is a description that we've heard before regarding the Jewish people, especially when they're wandering in the wilderness, 
right? It's used in connection with, in Exodus chapter 32, verse 9, uh, with the golden calf incident. We see it there. And the picture there is of an ox whose neck is stiff, and they are not, the farmer's trying to get them to plow that way. Right, But they can't goad them or pull them to go that way because they're stiff-necked. They want to go this way. Right? So they're stiff-necked, they're uncircumcised in their hearts and in their ears, meaning that they are closed off to God's direction and they resist the Holy Spirit. They don't receive direction from the Holy Spirit. So this is, these are three ways of saying the same thing. Right? You stubbornly resist God's direction. And what that translates into, like what that looks like, is that you kill God's messengers who bring God's words up to and including the living word of God, the Messiah himself, and you break God's law, which is ironic because what is their accusation against Stephen? That he breaks the law. But he's saying, no, you break the law. Right? And Stephen's assessment is going to prove to be accurate when we look at how the Sanhedrin respond. Because th there's this moment right here where the Sanhedrin have an opportunity to receive God's correction through God's messenger, right? They themselves, in Acts chapter 6, verse 15, they said that Stephen's face shone like what? The face of an angel, which should have reminded them of Moses coming down from Mount Horeb, bringing the living oracles of God as his face shone, right? The word angel itself, we have said, the most basic meaning means messenger. So they had this opportunity to receive God's correction through God's messenger. But instead of repenting, we read that they do this in verse 54 and verse 57. There it says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. And then after Stephen, he testifies to seeing the Son of Man at the right hand of God. We read this in verse 57. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And so when the, when the pressure came, right, their true character was revealed and their Hearts were shown to be full of hate and full of murder. And so instead of receiving God's message from God's messenger, they proved by rejecting it that they were, in fact, like their ancestors before them. Right? They, too, were stiff-necked like an ox. They, too, had uncircumcised hearts and ears closed off from the message of God. They, too, resisted God's Holy Spirit. Remember, Stephen is speaking as one, verse 55 says, as one full of the Spirit. So under pressure, their true character is revealed. Now, it's, it's easy to get on the Sanhedrin 
But let's turn the spotlight back onto our situation and think back on our situation. In that situation, right, that you've identified, where you're feeling an enormous amount of pressure, what is being revealed about your character? What might God be teaching you? How might he be calling you to respond? Is he, is he trying to confront you about something? Maybe he is, maybe he isn't, but is he trying to confront you about something? Are you... Are you stiff-necked and resistant to God's direction? Because we don't, we don't want to be stiff-necked like the Sanhedrin. And so, but here's the thing. In, in the Old Testament, this is not just a New Testament thing. In the Old Testament, right, in places like Deuteronomy 10, 16, for example, he says, circumcise your own hearts. But that's with the understanding, you get to Deuteronomy 36, and he says, really, well, actually, Yahweh is the only one who can circumcise your heart. So what can be revealed is that you need an uncircumcised heart to be able to be soft towards God. But we have to come to the place where we recognize, I don't think that that describes me. And so I turn to you now, oh God, for you to change me and make me somebody who's yielded to your will. So that's what this intense moment reveals about the Sanhedrin. So what does this intense moment reveal about Stephen? Because we've been saying, if, if you want to see the true character of a person, see how they react to an intense situation under immense Pressure. Now, I think we can all agree that it doesn't get much more intense than this. You can't have much more pressure than this. Right? If, you, if you can put yourself in Stephen's shoes for a minute, imagine being brought before the most powerful people in the nation. So let's say you're brought before the Senate. And both the Republicans and the Democrats looking at you at the Senate floor, and they are furious with you. So angry, in fact, that they're willing to drag you outside of the capital city and stone you. And if you can imagine that, then you can imagine the situation that Stephen is in. And what will you do? And what's Stephen going to do? Right, when Stephen is pressed, he's squeezed, what's going to come out? We get the answer in verse 59 and 60. There it says, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. 
And so when the Sanhedrin were squeezed, what came out was hate and murder. And when Stephen is squeezed, something very different comes out. Trust and love. He entrusted his spirit to Jesus And he asked Jesus to not hold this sin against them. But my question is, how? How in the world can he respond this way? And I think the answer is found in verse 55 and in verse 56. There we read, but he full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And so the first reason of two, I'm going to argue, The first reason of how he can respond in the way that he responds to the stoning that is happening is that he's given a vision of the Son of Man at the right hand of God. Now, this is an allusion to Daniel chapter 7 with a sort of nod to Psalm 110.1 where we have the Son of David, who is also David's Lord, sitting at the right hand of God until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. But in Daniel chapter 7, there's a figure called the Son of Man. And that title, that phrase is used repeatedly in the book of Ezekiel to just mean a a man, a person. right? But in Daniel chapter 7, the Son of Man is more than just a man. Because he rides on the clouds which is the divine prerogative of Yahweh himself. If you look in Psalm 103.4, Isaiah 19.1. And then this figure receives an everlasting kingdom from the ancient of days, God the Father. And then this figure in Psalm 110.1 sits at the highest place of honor in the universe sitting on the throne of God with God himself at God the Father's right hand. This is Jesus, right? But what is interesting to note is Jesus's posture. Because Psalm 110.1 says that he is seated at the right hand of God, but here he is standing, which is a posture of acknowledgement. So if you imagine, and we've seen it before, a judge comes into the courtroom and then the bailiff says what? All rise in honor of the person entering in. The judge in the ancient times would rise himself to give a verdict. And I think some of this imagery is involved here. The Sanhedrin, right, which is like the Supreme Court of Israel, have rendered their verdict in immediate sentencing, right? Jesus, the supreme judge, stands and in effect offers 
his verdict, right? In fulfillment of Luke 12, 8, by the way, which says, if you will honor me before men, I will honor you in heaven before the angels. And so he stand, the supreme judge, the supreme king of the universe, son of God himself, stands and acknowledges Stephen. And by the way, this is the most real thing happening in the scene. Right? If we were watching this on a movie screen, the yelling, the chaos, the stones being thrown, all of that would be blurred out as the camera focused in on Stephen's face and eyes as he's looking up, and then it would flash to Jesus, his eyes, their eyes meeting. It's the most real moment in the scene. Because this is when, so Stephen, like when the stones are being hurled and he's being pelted by stones, he can respond with trust and love because he sees his Jesus vindicated Christ, killed by the very same people standing, acknowledging him, not stopping the stones, but Stephen knows, I am not alone. God is with me. God is for me. And I, like my king, will be vindicated. And this moment, just like in the same way that the cross sealed the defeat of Satan, this moment seals the defeat of the evil within the hearts of the Sanhedrin. This is how the gospel works. This, we're, when we get back, we're going to go to Christmas passages for the rest of December, but when we get back to, we're going to see how this moment advances the kingdom of God. It is not a loss. It is actually a victory, just like the cross. And so one reason why Stephen can respond to the stoning and the way that he responds is because of this vision of the vindicated Christ. But another reason is because he is filled with the spirit of Christ in verse 55. The same spirit that empowered Jesus to do the things that he did while he was on the earth, Acts chapter 10, verse 38. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead was now living inside of Stephen. And so now when Stephen is crushed, what comes out looks like Jesus. And many have noted the parallels between the last moments of Stephen's life and the last moments of Jesus' life. And you can do it yourself. Just go to Luke chapter 22 and, and 23, and you'll just note, yeah, their life is operating in parallel. They are both brought before the Sanhedrin under false pretenses. They both affirm that the Son of Man will be exalted to the right hand of God 
And that condemns them, right? They, they are condemned because of saying that to blasphemy, and then they are killed outside of the city limits, a place reserved for what is unclean, those things associated with death. They both yield up their spirit, and they both ask God to forgive their persecutors. And so when you ask the question, how can Stephen respond to stoning in the way that he did? I mean, all Steve, Stephen had harsh words, but they were words. Stephen is being stoned, and he responds in this way. How can he respond in that way? Well, because God gave him a vision of the glory of Jesus that eclipsed everything else. And because God filled him with the spirit of Jesus, that's how he can respond in this way. So we began our time together with the quote from David Rhodes. The most fundamental way to reveal a character's nature is to put them under immense pressure. Under pressure, the Sanhedrin revealed that their hearts were full of hate and murder. But under pressure, Stephen revealed that his, his heart was revealed and it was full of trust and love. And yet it wasn't his character that was revealed. It was the character of Jesus Christ himself because he was filled with Jesus' spirit. And what that means for us is that our only hope our only hope to responding to that intense situation that you're in is for God to give you a vision of Christ's glory that eclipses the darkness of your circumstances and for God to fill you with Jesus' spirit so that when you are crushed, what is revealed is Jesus himself. Let's pray together. Father, you tell us that without Jesus, we can do nothing. Father, we, we bring to you this situation acknowledging we have no idea what to do. Father, will you give us a fresh vision of the glory of Jesus? Father, will you fill us with the spirit of Jesus? For your glory's sake, God, and for the sake of Jesus' name and his gospel, we pray in his name. Amen.